Without wood, no fire. Without fire, no cooking. Without cooking, no culture. Without culture, no science. Without science, no radio. Without radio, no show. We're cooking with wood on today's show, taking a fishing trip to Caribou Lake with former three-legged mule and twitching sushi bassist, Otsley Kilcher. From KBBI in Homer, Alaska, my name's Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to check the pantry. If you'd like to get anthropologists arguing with each other, wonder aloud about the domestication of fire. Did the human brain get bigger before we figured out how to control fire, making us smart enough to understand that dried wood could, if you supply an adequate spark, form a controllable fire whenever you want it? Or did the brain get bigger after we learned how to control fire, because it allowed us to cook food, which was essentially pre-digested, enabling us to extract more calories from it calories that evolution invested in larger brains. This being a cooking show, my rooting interest is clear. From cooking, all else must follow. But we'll leave aside the question of which came first, big brains or fire, and focus today on the fuel. Of course, most of us nowadays cook on either electricity derived from another energy source or some kind of natural gas. Our control of fire is so refined after anywhere from 250,000 to well over a million years of using it, anthropologists differ, that we can summon it by turning a knob to generate the precise amount of heat we desire, or at least that our stove can produce. Cooking with gas didn't appear until the early 1800s in England, with electricity obviously lagging further behind. The first practical electric cooking appliance was patented in 1905. Before that, you had just a few choices. Wood, coal, dung, dried agricultural residue, animal fat, and charcoal. Those were your options. The vast majority of people cooked over open flames. While the enclosed oven has existed for several thousand years, they were only available in specialized bakeries and settlements, or if you happen to be incredibly wealthy. It wasn't until the late 1700s that freestanding stoves made of iron and fueled by wood, coal, or charcoal entered kitchens. By the middle 19th century, a reasonably prosperous middle-class person in Western Europe or the U.S. could expect to have one of these ranges in their house. We're not likely to go back to wood as a primary fuel source for cooking. For one thing, it would probably be less than 10 years before we didn't have any more wood left to burn. But grappling with wood cook stoves, which are demanding of far more attention than the set and almost forget nature of a gas oven or the absurd temperature precision you can get from an electric immersion circulator, is a useful exercise for cooks. It forces us to remember that behind our recipes and our weights and our percentages and our timers is barely controlled fire and that the central art of cooking is mastery of that flame. shallow here, but we'll punch one here and then move out a little farther and try another one. How do you decide where to, uh, where to drill? Well, it's fish whispering, Jeff. Yeah. You know, you can't see the fish, but you can feel them. I just randomly make holes in the ice and uh, <laughs> hope, hope that I find the fish. Well, because I noticed, you know, when we were coming out here, like, you stopped in front of this uh, place and, and then seemed to be using that as, like, a bearing for... I, I tried to line myself up with these crooked trees, yeah. one on one side of the lake, one on the other, and and then, you know, you're looking for natural features, like a point that kind of comes in and then comes back out. The fish, you know, they're circulating the lake, basically, yeah. and they're kind of cruising the coast and stuff. They like to be on the edge of the grass. Kokanee will be down, like, in 15 feet of water, 
you're gonna hit the kokanee like at a seven, eight foot water column. Yeah. And then the dollies, you're gonna hit them on the bottom. Uh-huh. And they hang out, you know, they're on the bottom and stuff. So I usually drill a hole, kind of get to my usual spot and then punch a hole, find out what depth I'm in. And if I'm in, what kind of grass I'm in. Then I'll move out a little deeper, drill another hole. I try to find the edge of that kind of ocean, uh, lake grass uh-huh. and gravel. Cause that's where they like kind of, they come in and out of that grass line and gravel line. And then usually, you know, then you have to sit and wait yeah. because it's a big enough lake where like when they pass you by, it's a long time until they come back. And you might've been six inches above them uh-huh. and your lure just wasn't in their face at all. It's a lot of people think it's a lot of skill involved, which there is, but mostly there's a lot of luck because you're just punching holes through it three feet of ice and hoping a fish comes by and sees your little lure in the lake. But yeah. Still fun punching holes. And at least it's not blowing 40 out yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just cursed us. I just, I said knock on wood. <laughs> Count. That, no wood here. That's my head. Okay, prime this bad boy. A little choke. Drill a hole. How many holes I drill, I still every time think that I'm gonna sink. <laughs> I punch a hole in the lake and the water comes up. I'm like, oh god, oh god. Yeah, we got about three, three and a half feet of ice we're punching through here. Now I'm gonna just uh, throw a lure in there and get my depth. Oh, look at that little rod. What a cutie. Isn't that nice? It's like a little Snoopy Zebco is kind of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Just a little, little guy. I've got many a. Uh, we need a fish on this tiny little setup, but it's all you need. It's all you need. It is the bottom. How deep are we looking at here? Well, we're gonna find out. Oh yeah. Well. So we're you know we're eight feet, eight nine feet, mm. which is not bad. I might you know sometimes you get lucky and you just nail it. But I'm gonna jig around on the bottom a little bit and get a little aggressive and just see if uh, kind of what kind of grass I'm sitting on. That's good. Came up without a bunch of grass, and I'm in about nine feet of water. You know, I'm, dare say, pretty happy. I'm gonna punch one more hole, probably another 20 feet out from Uh the shore. But that's not a, and sometimes it has happened where I come out and I drill my test hole and I go down to find my depth and bam, like strike immediately. It does happen. Doesn't look like it's happening today. It's not happening so far. <laughs> what is uh what's the average depth around in Caribou Lake? I mean, how deep does it get? Uh, well, the, they there isn't a whatever you call those maps. Bathymetric chart. Yes, there is not a bathymetric chart on uh, Caribou Lake. People say things, you know, that there's a trench somewhere in the middle that actually goes down to like 60, 70 feet. Huh. I've never found that trench. No. And I've searched for it. 20, 30 feet along most of the shore. It's like eight feet. There's a lot of lake grass and stuff in the summer. It's pretty mm. choked out. Okay. That's and what uh, what species do we have? We have to choose from here. Some Dolly Varden, and we have some brown trout, and we have kokanee. All right. And I love all of them, but my favorite one definitely is gonna have to be the kokanee. There is great debate about why the kokanee are here. Kokanee are landlocked salmon. Right. Fox Creek, which feeds out of Caribou Lake, used to have a substantial salmon run until it was illegally and overfished. And the fish actually did come all the way up. Some people think that the earthquake of 64 changed the geographic of the falls and Mm -hmm. the fish were no longer able to get up here and thus left the fish that were here stranded and became the landlocked salmon. Others think that it just 
overfishing and stuff and now there's nothing that's getting back in here and the fish that are here stayed but kokanee aren't real big here i mean like if you catch a a pound and a half two pound kokanee it's like you know mount that bad boy <laughs> put it on your wall that they're beautiful I mean, they're beautiful little red salmon man and they make these I mean, the meat's just gorgeous and beautiful hopefully we get to see one but dolly is pretty good in here too yeah i've gotten a i've got a 22 24 inch dolly in here which is pretty substantial size and mm. they obviously have a lot more meat you know when you're going for eating and stuff catching yeah. big trout it's kind of better you have to catch like six kokanee to make up for that one two two foot trout something i do notice is that uh we're probably not going to catch anything right now why is that because there's no lure in the water oh we're we supposed to be fishing <laughs> oh. oh well i better join a little hole then <laughs> That might be that might be a keeper there. But I'm gonna go out and get a little more depth. It's kinda like witching, you know? Like witching a well. It's kinda Yeah. If you walk around with your auger and you listen, I mean you're just picking a spot and hoping that fish because like <coughs> that hole, which is twenty yards over from us, there could be like 12 fish swimming by there, and at this hole, there are no fish swimming by this hole. Yeah. So that's why you want to kind of find that edge of the grass line, because more consistently, when fish are passing by, they're going to be working that, that grass line. So it's worth spending a little bit of time and punching a few holes, getting the spot. I guess I could probably do like a GPS thing, I guess. That's what, that's what pros probably do. They, you know, they mark their secret hole, and then they go there, and they just show up with their GPS and... All of their sponsored yeah. ice fishing gear, you know. Ugh, but there's no fun in that. I like stumbling around and acting like looking like a fool. Good entertainment for the people in the lake. Nice day today, though. I mean, for the lake, sometimes it's just horrible, horrible out here. But the fish don't care what the weather is. Actually, they do care. They like it when the sun, these longer days, start penetrating through the ice, the sun, and makes them more active. If you come fishing, like, in December, it's like you sit here for six hours and catch one fish. But in the springtime... They start getting more active, and sometimes you just, we might just limit out today, Jeff. There she blows! We got a gusher! <laughs> it's Jane's favorite part. Huh? All right, hole number two. All right. Grab a rod. Stick it down in there and see what we got here, and then if I like where we're at, I'll punch another hole since uh, since you are licensed. I am licensed. We'll get you fishing too, and if the wind picks up, we'll set up the tent. If not, we'll just man up and freeze. Do you have the little tripod with the little flag on it that you said over the, uh, the deal, you know, like all the professionalized fishermen? When oh, the, the tip-ups? Yeah, when the fish strikes it. I didn't bring any tip-ups. Oh. When so I was younger, Jeff, I used to set up <laughs> 15 of those things all over the place and just sit with my binoculars and so we just have to fish. sit here with a with a rod in our hands like cavemen yep all right yeah just jigging in the wind oh yeah oh boy Uh-huh, so, or six, or ten, ten or eleven feet, which I do like that because that gives me, like, kokanee at about six, seven feet and trout down at ten. I'm going to put one rod at that first hole just so it's over there in case, keep an eye on it. And then I'm going to drill another hole for you right here, move the machines, and sit down and get jiggy with it. It's all about the vibe, Jeff. It's all about it. You gotta, you gotta envision it. You gotta want it. Slowly, I'm becoming one with the fish. Yeah, I can tell. Thinking like yeah. a fish. Yes. You know? I'm like, oh, you know what I really want is some tasty, tiny fish. Ugh. I wonder where I could find one of those. Is, what if there was a place, a lake, per se, and one could drill a hole and... 
No, no, no. See, I'm thinking like a fish. I'm down on the bottom right now. Oh, they want that. You want yeah, to taste the, these little yeah. fish. As a fish. Yes. What I what I desire is is smaller fish. And this small fish that has these pointy parts on it is a really it nice one. Looks like one. a very tasty fish. This is a really good one. <laughs> they're they're kind of they got a bite to it, but uh, spicy. <laughs> very metallic. Okay, now I'm just fishing, but I mean, I'm not doing that. Well, I mean, We're fishing relocating. is fishing is pretty much sounds the same on radio as dead air. So, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> is that dead air? No, they're fishing. No, they're definitely fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Only the sound of distant snow machines can differentiate. I feel like that was a really productive day. Um, you know, I've got one question for you, Jeff. Are you excited to go ice fishing again with me sometime soon? It can't get better than six hours <laughs> sitting in the cold on ice eating Trader Joe's fancy It was the good trail, trail mix. mix. It, it was the good trail mix. At I least. am, you know, I feel bad. You broke out the good stuff with the cherries yeah. and the pineapple. Well, I mean, the thing about it is, like, that was supposed to be, like, the starter because we were going to have legendary um, mountain dish bleu, which is a blue trout and we were going to explain like the whole there's like science behind it and like involves there mucus and science. like acid right. and it's super cool um, fish turns colors before your very eyes yeah. like, I was excited to see that I was happen. very excited to uh, you know like we didn't even know like if it if it was possible to do with a kokanee because it's a trout dish right you know and they're technically basically you know they're very close cousins if not brothers yes you know and so it was like maybe it, will it work with a kokanee so there was a lot of suspense and and uh and you brought the potatoes yeah, you brought a little propane burner for the side wok. to boil the water a wok I butter mean, because the traditional accompaniment is vinegar boiled is boiled potatoes with butter so we we're i mean we we're gonna have a full-on like mountain meal but then uh we didn't catch any Six fish. Six hours later, <laughs> I'm just had some trail mix and I'm starving. So now we have to really figure out how to survive. Now it is time to truly go back to my cabin in the woods and check the pantry. <laughs> the funny thing is that I don't even have a pantry because I haven't finished the shelvings and stuff yet. So we have to dig through boxes and see what kind of things I have. I did bring some red salmon from home from last fall as it's a backup. It's basically a kokanee. It basically is. And... You know, it's it's like a freezer burnt kokanee. It's yeah. the same thing. It's way bigger. <laughs> it's and much larger in the and ocean. Harder to cook, <laughs> but I think you know. Hopefully, some science can still happen in the wood stove oven, or we'll just go back and find out that you cannot cook salmon and papillot and a wood stove, and it will burn that, and then we'll just eat the Chex Mix. Yeah, we have Chex Mix. We have Chex Mix. I think we still have some kippered herring, too. All is not lost. Ooh, kippered herring, Chex Mix. I mean, it was good enough for last night. <laughs> Why not tonight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was, uh, you know, I'd never been ice fishing before, and now I see why. <laughs> it was your first time snow machining. That went well, at least. Yeah. Well, now, well hey, we're, we're not back at the cabin oh, yet. Oh, so. damn it. That's too soon again. <laughs> it's time to go. <laughs> time to find out what else happens. Well, next time, Jeff. <laughs> we're going to get them next time. Yeah. That's why they call it fishing. Instead of... Whatever else. <laughs> Not answering your phone when Ots calls. <laughs> ghosting. That's why they call it ghosting. <laughs> Jeff, no, no, no Jeff here. <laughs> no, no Jeff, sorry, wrong number. <laughs> Just like Michelin star chefs, it always starts with the freshest ingredients. In Alaska, Jeff, it starts with only the highest quality of wood. We're going to be cooking on a black spruce wood-fired oven tonight. And if you don't have the right wood, it's not even worth doing. Grandpa Ewell cooked on a wood stove his whole life. Remember, they, at one point, he was in his 70s. And they lifted up the old cabin and put it on a foundation and put in septic, a toilet, an indoor toilet and a shower and bought a propane stove for him. And 
he would not bring the propane stove inside and he never would use the inside toilet and he still showered outside with his little garden hose because that's how he rolled personally I'm not afraid of an indoor toilet but you know, an outhouse and a wood stove there's something to be said about it cook wood right size you want to always make sure that your pieces of wood have as a triangle shape to them John Calais taught me that uh-huh. triangles burn hotter and better than squares we don't know exactly why I think it's because of the thinner points, a triangle, you know, a bigger piece of wood, it takes longer for it to get hot and turn into coals. A triangle, the edges are thinner and they all light up. And ever since John Clay told me that, I've been chopping triangles. I have theories about stuff too. Theories are fun. I have a theory that there's no, uh, there's actually no fish in Caribou Lake. Mm, I can back that up. <laughs> this stove is pretty impressive. It is a wonderful thing. I have a stove problem. I love stoves. This one came from Spain and then it got quarantined in Canada. I didn't even know stoves could get quarantined, but evidently they can. And it sat there for a while past quarantine and then got trucked in Quebec to Washington and then stuck on a barge to Anchorage and then trucked down to Homer and now it lives in the middle of nowhere. And long after this entire house rots and falls to the ground, somebody digging through the rubble will find an incredible Spanish steel wood cook stove. Is that like a full inch cooktop? Oh yeah. Carbon steel? Stainless. Stainless, oh. Stainless cooktop. Wow. And the oven is a full size oven. You can fit a bird in there, full turkey. I've done chicken in there, uh, I've done rabbit in there, but all kind of low and slow, you know, 325. I've never really tried to push the stove to 400 degrees, which is kind of where I want to try to end up because in the past, the fish in Papiat that I've made, I've usually done it like 400 degrees, like seven minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can achieve 400 degrees and the thing about wood cook stoves is that the back of the oven might be 500 degrees and the front of the oven might be 300 degrees, in which case you have to constantly rotate, which parcels of fragile things getting steamed in a piece of paper don't necessarily like being jarred back and forth and flipped around and opened and closed. So we're either going to make really overly done, super dry <laughs> red salmon and papillot, or we're going to nail it, or it's going to be rough. So you're, so you're saying that there's a strong chance that dinner could have the exact same result that fishing had? No, fishing came up with nothing. <laughs> we will have something. It might be Chex Mix. <laughs> but it might just be overcooked or who knows what, but there will actually be a substance, whereas the uh, ice fishing, as we now know, amounted to nothing. So that's the firebox. It's, it's one of the only cook stoves that it has a little glass door in it, so you can actually see the flame. It throws a nice little light out when it's dark and stuff, and you can kind of check and see without having to open the door if you need to put more fuel in it, which is kind of a fun feature that I liked about this stove. It weighs 650 pounds, yeah. and the firebox, it's all hand-built in Spain. They make their own fire bricks. It is really, a, truly a, a work of art, the stove itself. And I usually just kind of load it up, get some various sizes of whatever wood you have. I'm using black spruce because uh, because I can. And I like to do the upside down fire method, which the Norwegians hold very dear. That's where you put the biggest stuff on the bottom uh. and then build up smaller, smaller, smaller until you have the finest kindling on top. And when you light the fire, the top kindling turns into coals and drops down through into the bigger stuff. Uh. And actually, it starts a pretty good, that's kind of how I start my wood stove. And yeah. I'm not familiar with this technique. Upside down fire. And the trick is to just get it going good and hot and then you just have to feed the fire. Feed the fire. So as you're cooking and as you're doing your prep and as you're doing all your other things, you have to remember, oh, Crap, I forgot to check the wood stove and it's been going for 20 minutes and it just went out and now I have to start another fire again. So it's kind of this dance, a constant dance as you're cooking to remember, oh wait, 
Why isn't this boiling anymore? Oh right, I have to add more wood. So this is just this is another failure failure point here uh, in this whole process, which is chock full of them. It is. <laughs> but luckily now we're in familiar territory for me. The fishing was uh, humiliating enough for the day, <laughs> and now I take fate back into my own hands, and do things that I know I can have success. That being starting a fire. Yeah. The impapiat. Well, that could fail miserably still, but at least there will be a product at the end of it. And another thing I kind of like about cooking on the wood stove is that, you know, you get your fire going, and once you get it going, there's really nothing else to do, and then you can kind of go over and do your prep and start getting everything sorted, and just keep feeding the fire. We're cooking everything in the oven today, so usually, like, if you're using the cooktop in 10, 15 minutes, you're ready, like, you can actually saute and boil and do all kinds of great things. The cooktop heats up pretty quick. The oven, however, takes a little bit longer. So I'm just going to keep feeding the fire, try to get it up to temperature and uh, get everything else prepped, put together the packages, the beautiful local red salmon and other strange things that I've got uh, laying around. I, I got picked up a fennel bulb that's only half rotten and uh, I think I have some broccolini, onion, of course. Uh, I'm going to try to do like a couple different versions, a couple different flavors, see which one works. But for now, it all starts with the flame. This is the best part of starting the oven. Uh, the, yeah, this is a pistol. This is a weed burner with a pistol grip. <laughs> that, it, I mean, it looks like a pistol. Yeah, it's actually it's a called, weed it's called a grill gun. Oh. It's, called, it's called a grill gun. Uh-huh. And, uh, it's attached yeah, it's, to a propane tank. It's attached to a, to a small camp. canister, handheld yeah. canister, and, uh, it looks like a gun. Yeah. It has a pistol grip and a trigger. Yeah. yeah. And when you light it... <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's rowdy. I kind of feel like the upside-down part isn't really the magic here. Oh, you like the gun and taking the glory? <laughs> but I'm not going to light the bottom. See, it's just going to get this top tinder going. Yeah. And it does all the rest. And just like that. Now, open up all the dampers, get some good airflow going, and prepare to sweat profusely because <laughs> it gets hot next to this thing. I always love it. Right when you start it, there's this cute little flame that comes up through that middle hole because it does have the French top on it, so you can remove individual rings. Um, it's kind of fun for, you can take a barbecue grate and take out all the rings, so basically like it's open. You can see down into the fire box direct flame and you can put a barbecue grill over the top of it and it does like a Jenner downward draft because yeah. it pulls all the air through that fire top so you can actually like do steaks and yeah. cook directly on flame but still have it drafting and pulling all the grease and smoke and stuff up into the into the chimney which is kind of a fun well. thing to be able to do. Now the fire is going we can start prepping everything out. What's a pan of water for? Well, since we have this abundance of super tasty small potatoes, <laughs> and I know for a fact that this uh, impapiat is not gonna cook a potato in the same time that the salmon's gonna get cooked, I'm gonna try to parboil some potatoes uh -huh. since I have heat that's being wasted right now and parboil some of these potatoes and throw some of them in, see how they come out. Man, these would've been great with trout draft. I know. I mean, I specifically got them because I was like, oh, these will these will be fantastic. You know, they won't. They're small, so they'll they'll boil quickly. You know, while we're after we catch the first fish, while we're getting a couple more. You know, obviously with your with your fishing skills, I feel like I should leave leave some food behind just in case. You know, my pantry is very thin right now. You know, and this oven's only been. Fire's been going for like 10 minutes, and we're already very hot on, on the cooktop, and 
The oven is at 26 degrees Celsius. Of course, since this is a Spanish oven, the thermometer is in Celsius, so I have to try to convert in my brain. So, it, like, the th th stove thermometer, which is at the very top of the stove, is saying it's, like, at 50-some degrees. But I just got some oven thermometers in Fahrenheit. And now, after only 10 minutes, the middle rack is at 160 at the front of the stove and the back of the stove is already at 200. So there's a good 40 degree difference between the front of the oven and the back of the oven. Uh -huh. Which is going to be the That's kind of thing that we, you know, yeah, work with. Doing stuff like bread, like I remember my grandma and grandpa cooking in the wood stove and it was, you know, big cast iron pans was your best friend just because you at least it was getting the, you know, the hot back of the stove was evenly heating the entire cast iron pan and then there was just a lot of rotating, rotating, opening it up, flipping it around, sticking it back in. And... Okay, we're gonna let those uh, potatoes work for a little bit and then uh, prep some onion and some fennel. Oh, I got a bunch of bok choy too, that's right. Ooh. Bok choy, so you know, we might do like, uh, we might, we might do uh, kind of an Asian take on a uh, impapiat, you know, maybe kind of keep you know, a little bok choy and fennel and sesame oils, and a little bit of heat to it. Do something a little bit more traditional as well too. Just a rich, buttery, kind of savory thing. Ah, uh, yeah. Good old. <laughs> <laughs> Good old fresh Alaskan produce here. <laughs> Broccoli looked like it was from last spring. <laughs> Just as limp as limp can be. Fennel bulb is barely the size of my fist. Yeah. <laughs> I take these fennel bulbs and have them. Cut the root off the bottom. I hate to waste any of it. Usually I take the first layer of the fennel bulb off, but if I do that right now, there won't be any fennel bulb left. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just yeah. going to go with it and use the, yeah, uh, the outside layer too. Probably not too bad. No. One of my grandmother Ruth and my father Still's favorite things is fennel. Probably use some of that fennel frond, maybe as well. Go with an onion right behind you here. Steam coming off the potato pan. Oh man, yeah. That makes, yeah. Me, that makes me feel like we might at least get something for dinner. <laughs> we're, we're at the very least <laughs> eating those potatoes, Jeff. <laughs> Just trying to kind of make sure that I make everything as thin as possible but not too thin, you know, hopefully in a perfect world in the past, everything comes out the same. The potatoes have a nice consistency. The veg, the veg is not just total mush and the salmon or trout, lack thereof, is perfectly cooked. A little bit translucent in the, in the middle. And work on some garlic bulbs. And then some broccolini. How's that oven temps looking there? What's going on uh, there? Let's see. Looks like uh, about 50 degrees Celsius. Okay, so uh, in the in the oven says it's 275. So the one in the oven is in Fahrenheit. Right. And placed in the middle of the oven. Right. The cook stove one that's in Celsius is at the top, and one would think. I, I feel like maybe it doesn't work. I feel like it's horribly <laughs> off. I mean, it's, it's moved since we started it, but it seems, I mean, what's the one in the very back of the stove say, the, oh, the Fahrenheit there's thermometer? One, there's one in the back. Huh? The one in the back says, so the one in the back says 355. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so like 355, we're not far off from having 400 degrees that I want in the back of the stove, but, and then the front says what? Slightly under 300. Yeah, that's a pretty good discrepancy. Uh, I wonder if uh, temperature. I wonder if you got one of those, one of those little bimetal fans, you know. Well, the way Maybe the stove drafts is that it pulls the heat out of the firebox, over the top, and then behind the oven, and uh -huh. then up the flue. Uh -huh. So it's always throwing more heat towards the back of it. Yeah. So the the cast iron is always going to be hotter in the back. But if you did have some little fan in there, at least you would have you know maybe only a twenty degree difference from front to back instead of yeah. sixty or more. You know. Uh, what else do I got? Uh, Look at that, fresh red salmon. Fresh red salmon, fresh <laughs> from the freezer. <laughs> Luckily, I'm better at subsistence living and stocking my freezer than I am at going randomly on any given day and catching fresh trout. But 
That's why I don't just rely on eating only trout year-round. <laughs> that's, that's why I still go out and get salmon. We're gonna get some parchment paper. I don't know. And obviously, like in the summer, you'd be wrapping this in alder leaves. Oh yeah. Pushki, mainly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Pushki leaves, go. they just work really well. There you go. Get a pair of scissors. I got, I don't know, maybe two feet of parchment paper. And then I just do a little arts and craft and make a heart. You just kind of cut it. I should have cut that wider. Hopefully my salmon will fit on that. If all else fails, I'll cut another piece, but... Okay, so you got your parchment paper, which you now basically, if you unfold it, you have a heart. Which hopefully will accommodate the size of my fish. Cut the salmon down a little bit. So these are the skin on fillets, are you gonna leave the skin on in the uh, parchment? I am, I am. And then I like to take some olive oil and kind of drizzle it on. And uh, you know, I don't know. And I like to kind of take it and paint the parchment out the edges, which some people do, some people don't. I kind of think it helps uh, fold it and seal it better. Because obviously, if you're doing in Papiata, it does not work if you have a seal failure, then you are no longer steaming. You're just kind of brutalizing at that point. So I kind of take the olive oil and spread it out along the edges. The oil is obviously, you know, this salmon, this red salmon is pretty lean. Not a lot of fat on it. Gotta make sure you got some even coverage of olive oil all the way around the edges at the very least. Take our piece of salmon, place it in there. Very nice. I'm gonna do some fennel and onion. I'm gonna go underneath of the salmon with this, so. I actually put down the onion first, give it a little bed to sit on with some fennel. Very nice. I'm gonna just do three whole cloves of garlic just kind of hanging out in there because I like that. Using a uh, slotted spatula to <laughs> grab these potatoes out of the Good. boiling water because that's what I have out here. I don't have a slotted spoon. Very efficient. Yeah. It's nice. The way that the roundness of the potatoes <laughs> rolls off the spatula is magnificent. <laughs> okay, so we're just adding a couple of halved baby potatoes on the parchment as well. We are checking our firebox, making sure it has fuel, which it does. Our oven has reached 400 degrees in the back and 325 in the front. So it's 75 degrees hotter from the front of the stove to the back of the stove. Right. That's what this experiment is kind of about. We're gonna find out what that means. Was that, was that my hot sauce? No. Oh. This? Oh, this is a, oh. I made a, a Thai chili fermented hot sauce. Uh -huh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, uh, I've been saving it. It's pretty special and uh, it's something I don't use very often, yeah, Jeff. You I'll, should try it out sometime. Maybe I'll try that one of these yeah, days. Yeah, I can show you kind of how to do you know, it. I bet like I can kind of imagine, I bet the process would be that you ferment uh, the peppers in a jar, you know, with just some salt for a while. Yes. And then I bet that, I bet that, you know, if it was me, like I would probably use actually a couple different varieties of pepper. One, uh, an ahi rico, which is a Peruvian pepper. That's what I would Amazing. use. Amazing. That is one of them uh, that I use. Whoa, whoa yeah. what a coincidence. Yeah. And I would use that. I would ferment that to get the fruitiness, you know. And then probably <laughs> later, you know, much later after they had fermented for a couple of weeks or possibly even a month, then I would probably add something like a, a, a Thai um, you know, yes, pepper. to balance that out, would give be it very heat. hot mm -hmm. to bring to bring mm -hmm. the intense heat, and most likely I would not let that ferment for very long. I would just leave it for a little bit, sure, because the fermentation exactly. process actually does tame the heat some, and I still want this to be really have a nice, you know, a nice aggressive bite, mm -hmm. and that's what I would do. And then I would probably puree it, um, and then I would I would personally I would run that run it through a, a tammy to yeah, get it to be get, a very, very fine puree. You do. But, you, do. you know, so where it still has some body to it. But that's what, I, I don't know how you made that sauce, but that's what well, I Well, you know, with your, uncanny, with your uncanny gift, I mean, like, the fact that you were able to break down my homemade hot sauce that fast. I mean, I'm, I'm a professional. This is what I do. You should start, like, a cooking show or something. This or is what I do. Of, yeah. Man, man, you're good. <laughs> Um, we're just doing a little broccolini now, so we basically we seasoned the salmon, 
We have some onions and fennel underneath. We have some halved baby potatoes. And now I'm throwing in some broccolini. And then we are going to add, let's see on this one, I think I'll go for just another little dash of olive oil and then a couple chunks of butter because we have so much left over that we didn't use oh, yeah. today on the lake. Real shame that that yeah. butter didn't get used today. It's nice yeah. butter too. It's Kerrygold. Only the best. Only the best for your non-trout <laughs> recipes. Okay, a little drizzle of olive oil and some butter. And we're just gonna tuck in a couple of chunks of butter here. And I think that's gonna be this one. You know, we'll try a few different versions. So then you take your parchment and you put the heart back together, fold it back on top of itself. And then I start from the, uh, I don't know, the, what do you call that? The, the butt crack of the heart? <laughs> yes, that is the scientific term <laughs> that for is it. Good. Yes. I start from the butt crack of the heart and then you just kind of fold and crease. Make sure you really get good creasing because this is what makes it or breaks it. When you go to seal up your paper, if you lose that fold on the seam, then your steam escapes and then you're no longer making, I don't know, what is it at that point? Roasting. Roasting. Then you are roasting. And that is not what we were wanting to do. We've had enough failure today, Jeff. Fold, fold, crease, double fold, crease, double fold, crease. Work your way around the heart. But this is the part that you want to kind of take your time because you want to make sure that you have a good, as we just learned, so that we are not roasting, we are steaming. How's that uh, oven? So the reason that I start in the, what is now called the butt crack of the heart with my folding is that I like to work down towards the tip of the heart and have plenty of extra bag left to really make sure that you've got a good seal on that end. Because the blowouts I've had have usually happened on the pointy end of the heart from just not having enough paper left by the time you come around the corner to seal it. And look at that. Look at that. That is red salmon and papillot. Yeah. We got some veg in there. What do we got in this one? We got the fennel and onion, some broccolini, and some parboiled sweet Yukon with just some uh, simple seasoning to that. And that's going to be parcel number one. So, again, you know, I get a couple of feet of parchment paper. Fold parchment paper in half. Start at the fold and cut a heart. Okay, so this is the point where you want to add a little more fuel. You don't want to lose your coals or else you got to start another fire. And you got to keep that temperature just going. But now that it's kind of got some coals, I can start putting on bigger pieces. Maybe like three to four inch size chunks in there instead of smaller stuff. This oven does hold heat pretty well. so. You kind of want to get your oven up to temperature, but then you don't want to start overfeeding the fire. You want to kind of close your dampers down and let the fire just kind of radiate throughout that. Because if you keep adding fuel, obviously it's going to keep getting hotter and hotter. But this nice thing about a massive cast iron stove like this is that even once the fuel is out and the fire goes out, it holds that oven holds that temperature for another 30, 45 minutes. So, you, you know, you got some room, some wiggle room in there to work with but if you just keep adding too much heat it just gets 500 degrees in the back and 300 in the front and we're trying to get an even stove temperature and now we have achieved 300 degrees in the front and 375 in the back so we still have a 75 degree difference in the oven but you know let's see what happens here well, hopefully once the front catches up a little bit, we can slow down the back. Right, then we can kind of shut down the stove, yeah. crank down the dampers, and equalize, hopefully. Okay, this one, we're gonna do some olive oil as a base, but then I think I'm gonna get some sesame oil involved for the top. That's right, I have some bok choy. We're gonna get bok choy on the team on this round. Or just a bok choy. Yeah, that's quite a substantial amount of bok choy. <laughs> I really like, you know, when I go to town and there is something that isn't molding or super limp, I buy as much of it as I can. And the bok choy was looking good that day, so I bought a lot of bok choy. Okay, well, I am going to do the same. I'm going to put down some onions and fennel again on the bottom of this because it is a really nice base. Now that I'm learning, I have a lot of 
stuff more than me and you can eat. But again, it was a long day on the ice. Pretty hungry. Yeah, definitely, definitely hungry. And the fennel will loan itself very nicely as well with the Asian-esque flair. And I'm gonna just put a little bit of rice wine vinegar on this onion and fennel. Oh yeah, I brought some of that too for, uh, <laughs> brought some of that out to the lake with us. Uh -huh. That was gonna right. be the acid for the blue trout. Right, so that's basically how that... Yeah, it interacts with the slime on the outside of a very, very fresh fish, uh -huh. and it turns it blue. And we're not talking like 30 minutes fresh. No, 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 you have to kill it immediately before you put it in the water. And so it's just like water with some vinegar. Yeah, you you take the you take the fish out of the water. You get a cubion going with water and uh, and some vinegar, and then you know you can have herbs and stuff if you want to. But the water and the vinegar, or the vinegar, is the most important part. Uh -huh. Yeah, and then you bonk the fish over the head, gut it, and immediately drop it into the water, and it turns blue. I mean, it theoretically does. I've never done it. The flesh. Like, no, 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 we, not we the flesh. The outside of the, the outside. The, the skin. outside. Yeah. The, the specifically, the yeah, the the, the slime layer uh -huh. interacts with the the acid to turn blue. Uh -huh. Yeah. I mean, this is again, this is a theoretical thing. I've never done it before, and <laughs> I was I was very excited about you know. I was too. I, I was like, <laughs> man, this what a fun way. Like this is cooking and science. Like yeah. there, there's nothing better. And yeah. then for the next. <laughs> Three hours, I had to hear Jeff's disappointment. No, it was uh, six hours. Well, there was six hours of fishing, <laughs> two hours of disappointment. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess the first, the first hour, we did have some hope. We did. And then we changed locations. We, we went to a different spot. Where some guy assured us that... Some guy came along on a snow machine and was like, Oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll show you Jimmy Jim Bob over there. He was catching him big as a leg over there. That's where he was at. And I was like... I'm not gonna move, I'm not gonna move. Screw it, we're gonna move. And then we moved the whole thing and drilled new holes in a very tougher area where there was overflow. It was like a nightmare. And then we got skunked there too. Yeah, it was great. So now we're gonna take some of Jeff's wonderfully homegrown fermented chili sauce and we're just gonna kinda invite it to the party on top of the salmon. Okay, so we've got the fennel and the onion underneath of the salmon, which we now put a little bit of Jeff's chili sauce on. Boom, we've got some bok choy that's in there. And then I'm just gonna take some bok choy leaves. I'm just gonna get those guys there. Really though, first, before I'm gonna pull those leaves back off and get a little bit of sesame oil in the party. And just give a little drizzle. I love sesame oil. I love sesame oil. I put it on everything. My dad, we came out here and he brought some dinner with him. It was a black bear and veggie dish that he had made at home and brought out here to the woods. And we heated it up on the wood stove. It smelled amazing. I was like, oh, it smells great, dad. All right, here we go. And I took out the sesame oil and started to drizzle it on top. And he just was like, wait, what are you doing? Well, I mean, you don't think my flavors are gonna be good enough? Like, you could at least try it first. <laughs> it's like that classic, like, can I have the ketchup please moment, where yeah. it's like the chef's just fully insulted, you know? So I tried it without, you know, and then I kind of snuck some on, and then I also snuck on a bunch of hot sauce, because I love hot sauce. And yeah. But then uh, my dad, later I saw, stealing a bite off of my plate uh -huh. with the sesame oil on there. Yeah. And uh, next thing you know, he came out the next week and was like, you know what's really good on stuff, son? Sesame oil. It's amazing. You should put it on everything. <laughs> I was like, huh, great idea, Dad. Great idea. Oh, butter. Oh, come on. I mean, we, we can't forget butter. I don't feel as bad now. Actually, we're going to do just a little dusting of some curry on the veg side. Some oh, curry powder. Now it's, now it's pan Asian. That's what we're doing here. And now we put the butter in <laughs> to finish off the full gambit. Oven is now 360 up front and holy 450 in the back. So Sweet. we're going to shut down the oven dampers now and see if we can get this thing to uh, kind of level out. You know, the wood is kind of your main, your high burner. And then I've got a, a bottom damper knob and a top damper knob. So there's a draft coming underneath of the fire and there's another damper on top that brings in air 
kind of directly too. So between the two of those, you can kind of do your fine adjustments, so to speak. Okay, so this one's, we got the fennel and the onion, and we got bok choy, we got the chili sauce on top of the salmon with a drizzle of uh, sesame oil, a couple of garlic bulbs, and some bok choy. And we're gonna wrap this guy up, once again, starting at the butt crack of the heart. Certainly there's gotta be a better name than the butt crack of the heart, but. Wasn't that a Bonnie Tyler song? <laughs> Total butt crack of the heart. <laughs> Total butt crack of the Turn around. Wish I had a trap, but instead we're eating salmon cause we're really hungry. Turn around. We brought the potatoes and a propane burner. We were so excited. Turn around, bright eyes. Start from the butt crack of the heart. <laughs> All right, we're gonna have to, you're gonna have to pay copyright fees. Sing another. I think we're in, yeah, I think we're in fair use territory right now. <laughs> no, parody's actually okay. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, parody's cool. Perfect. Yeah. And we're in luck. Man, I'm so excited to get these bad boys in the oven. And yeah. see how it goes. Yeah, I'm actually, I am too, because I'm, I'm pretty hungry. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I could just eat the potatoes and be pretty happy. I mean, we're done, right? <laughs> <laughs> Take your time with the folds. So I usually fold it like a couple of inches and make a fold and then move forward, make another fold, and then go backwards and double fold. Yeah, I see that. That's... That's what I'm doing. And it's really olive oil and it's really taking a long time. It is, and it's so hot in here right now. I'm sweating bullets, starving to death. And... It's a fabulous folding audio. Boy, huh? You're getting some good crinkling of you'd folding really, and you really Can you feel the crease hear the creasing? You really can. Okay, and voila, the second parcel is ready. We've got that just on a baking sheet. And uh, yeah, we'll let this oven kind of stabilize, so to speak. Hopefully it'll balance out from front to back a little bit, and then we're gonna pop this in. I'm curious to see what happens here. Me too, I'm excited. Check my folds one more time. I think we're good. Okay, we're going in. We're going in, and these sizes of fish, like really, you know, seven minutes, and then, but I'm gonna try to, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe I'll try to pull it forward on the oven rack as far as possible, get it away from the back. And usually I would just do seven minutes and then pull it out and just let it rest in the parcel for another three or four minutes and then serve. We're gonna find out. We're gonna find out. It's cooking. It's cooking. It is in the oven. We're gonna eat today, Jeff. We are gonna eat something. At least the rest of those. Well, there's those potatoes. There's the potatoes. So. <laughs> we can, we can. Oh, look at that. What is that? Let me get some... uh, That's well, the potatoes happening. While, um, while the impapiat was working in the oven, I realized we had some extra of these everything, right? We had extra, extra fennel bulb and extra onion and extra beautiful potatoes and extra butter. <laughs> so I just went ahead and threw together the onions and the fennel and these little potatoes and a bunch of butter and uh, a little bit of smoky hot sauce and it's going to be just a beautiful, simple extra veg i mean you know at this point after you've been starving all day you just really start bulking and you're just like i can make that i'll make some of this <laughs> it's time to pull the end puppy up yeah, look at them they're all they're puffy in there they're puffy they're looking active that's what you want to look for if they're not puffy when you pull them out then you did not succeed in your creasing you're a failure you're a failure oh yeah and there's little droplets on there non-puffy yeah is like the equivalent of sitting on a lake for six hours and not catching any fish. <laughs> the year is 2046. Jeff is still mentioning to us the day that he failed. <laughs> so as soon as you pull it out of the oven, it always it hits the colder air and deflates, which is okay. Do not freak out at that point. But as long as they're puffy when they're coming out, you can be pretty confident. And then I let them sit for a few minutes and rest. Salmon is feeling just through the paper firm. Hopefully not too firm. We're just gonna let that sit for you a few minutes. Uh, yeah, the salmon better not be too firm or I'm not gonna eat it. Yeah, you can go to that other restaurant down <laughs> in the next cabin in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I hear they're serving blue trout tonight. Oh! <laughs> and then the moment comes. You don't know if you did it right until you cut it open. So obviously 
in a restaurant setting, it's like you've got to nail it because we bring it out and then they tear into it and it's either raw or yeah. overcooked and then that's not cool anymore. So, and you don't want to have like the salmon's perfect, but the potatoes rock hard or the bra, you know, it's like, it's a tricky thing to pull off consistent. I'm not saying that's what we're going to have here. <laughs> I'll just be happy if the salmon is edible. Edible. If, any, if everything's edible, I'll be happy. It's not burnt. The edge of the uh, parchment paper did get a little colorization, which is fine because you're trying to cook it at a high heat and steam it inside of that little package. So let it sit and rest for a couple of minutes, and then we'll cut into it and finally eat some food. Yeah, that's going to be a big moment. It is. It really is. See, Jeff, actually, there's no fish in that lake. You were right. I was just trying to get you really hungry and focused so you'd appreciate, even if this impapiat comes out horribly, you're still going to love it because you just, I've starved you. Yeah, it's definitely working. Big moment. Big moment. Man, I'm going to get a uh, fork and a knife. Cut in here and see what happens. Okay. And one of the funner parts of cooking in papillot is the moment where you cut into the bag with the dull scissors. <laughs> you cut in and tear into it. It should be very hot and steamy. I can smell it. Oh, it smells amazing. You kind of rip onto it like a nice little surprise package. Look at that. That, huh? Look at that. that, that it's like it works, Jeff. Wow. <laughs> We're just going to kind of tuck into the salmon here. It's, it, the salmon is done. <laughs> it is just slightly over, but I'm okay with that for this first experimentation. The broccolini is still nice. It's got a little bit of texture to it still. The veg underneath, the onions and fennel are very soft. I'm gonna taste a little fennel piece. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, so like, Red salmon and papillot, man. It's all in there, it's in one package. You've got your meat and your veg inside of one little guy, steamed to perfection. So, can you do me a favor now? Tell me. Can you shut up so that I can eat? <laughs> I guess, Jeff, what are, you, what are you, hungry or something? I had all that trail mix today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on, open the other one up. Hurry Here's up, hurry Asian, up. The Asian, the pan Asian. There we go. Oh yeah, again, that one is looking lovely bok choy, fennel, and a lovely Jeff's hard labored over hot sauce that I tried to act like was mine on a piece of beautiful red salmon. Jeff, after 12 hours of a long day and sitting on a lake freezing, I would like to invite you to sit down and actually eat. Good, because I'm friggin' starving. <laughs> Next time, we're doing Blue trout. It's a deal. I promise. <laughs> I, pr I know this great place to go. <laughs> Guarantee we'll catch a trap. Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's produced and hosted by Jeff Lockwood. Today's guest was Otsley Kilcher. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10, Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Kotwar Ebane. This is the fifth episode of the winter 2021 season of Check the Pantry. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI Public Radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this.